Well, good morning, everyone. Sorry I'm a little late up here. I would usually be up here, like, right away, but I'm having some kids help me out this morning, so I had to, I was in the back, I got distracted by them. So, anyways, glad to have all of you kids here. Glad that you brought your parents this morning. It's good for you to be here, that you've chosen to come and worship together on a long weekend. We're just so glad you're here. I'm glad you're here, because you know, the sound people back there, if they were the only ones here, I had to debate, do I give them a full sermon or just part of a sermon? So now that you're all here, hey, you get the full sermon. So thanks for being here. We're continuing our series in the parables. And as every other speaker has mentioned, you know, their parable is the the one that's most memorable, the one that people know the most, but sorry, this is the one that most people know the most and have probably heard the most. Some of you may have preached this before. Some of you may have even taught this parable before. But I want all of us to kind of open up our hearts, open up our minds, and maybe look at it in a different way. Because if you're like me, when you read God's Word, it is alive, it is living, and it speaks to you. And so I pray this morning that when you hear this parable, that it'll come to light in a new way that God would reveal something even maybe new to you, or just remind you of the importance of this story. So we're going to jump right in, and the parable is of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. I believe it's probably on the screen, so I'll read and just follow along. Listen this morning, confession to make. I like bringing my Bible up here and reading it. But kids, as you get older, it's harder to see the small words. So all I did was make it bigger print. So I wouldn't have to be like, oh, what is that word? God's word on a piece of paper this morning. Follow along on the screen. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law, he stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said this, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by some robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to come along, and he's going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, 
said, look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want to go through a few of the characters here just quickly, just to remind you of who they are and the importance. And then we have this lawyer, this young, educated, probably a scholar of the Old Testament, and he was asking Jesus questions, and he asked about eternal life. And really, he wasn't being honest in his questions. He was just trying to find out where Jesus stood and what he believed uh, in Judaism. And so he was just trying to see what Jesus' answers would be. And so he kind of summed up, love God, love others. And then Jesus said, well, go and do likewise. And the issue for this lawyer and for us as well is not do we just have the correct doctrine, but is it our desire to obey it? It's not enough just to know, but do you obey? So the Lord was trying to maybe find a little bit of a loophole, as they're good at, trying to minimize his responsibility. He asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says this parable, and he breaks it down, and he's trying to show him that it's not just what you say, but it's what you do. In fact, it's not just your neighbor, maybe the person down the street or right next door to you. It's whoever God brings into your path. So then we have the priest. So he's the first one that comes by, right? And we know the story. He sees the man lying there. He walks on the other side. Now, a priest would be someone who you would think would do the godly thing and help him out. But who knows if he was in a hurry somewhere, or maybe he didn't want to become unclean, because what if this body had blood on it? Then he'd have to go back, and he'd have to do the ritual cleaning again, and then he'd have to go through all this and take a lot of time. So it was just best for him to walk on the other side. But the kingdom of God is not just about uh, talking. It's about actions, isn't it? And here was a perfect opportunity, and he passed by. In fact, we have our slides here, James chapter 2, 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without, was, is without clothes and daily food. If someone says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. The priest was used to telling others of how to love other people, how to treat them, and yet he didn't do the very thing that he said others to do. And then we have the Levite. The Levite was an expert of the law, and he too came walking by the same road. He's a godly man, and yet he saw this man lying there, and he just walked by. He didn't want to take the time. He didn't want to go out of his way. He would have been a Jewish man. This man who was beaten up would have been a Jewish man. It would have been his neighbor, someone he should have helped out. But it was too inconvenient. He didn't want to act out and do it. And then we have the Samaritan. 
I don't know if you know much about the, the, the Samaritans, but the Jews despised the Samaritans. Couldn't stand them. Couldn't stand them at all. See, they were a half-breed. Now, that there was these northern kingdoms, and they were taken over, this is back in the day, by the Assyrians, and then the land over near Samaria, where the Assyrians were and the Jewish captives were, they intermarried. And the Jews at the time were supposed to marry other Jews. One reason was to keep the same faith, because once they started marrying the Gentiles, then they would get into their idols and their worshiping of other gods. And so the Jews despised the Samaritans, couldn't stand them. They were not their equals. They were half-breeds in their mind. And the Samaritans, in the same way, did not like the Jews as all, the way they were treated. And so they had this rival going. Now, if you've ever put together a sermon, some of you have, you do a lot of research, I hope. So I was doing a lot of reading the last few months and reading some different commentaries just to see, because different scholars have different views of different verses, right? So I'm reading this one, and it just jumped out at me. And here's the quote. He said, the Samaritans were not just simply outcasts. They were despised enemies of the Jews. So I'm reading this, despised enemies. I don't have any enemies. I don't have any enemies in my life, especially not any despised enemies. And so I'm thinking for a while, like, I really can't relate to this. I don't have a hate for anyone. Really. I don't really despise anyone, really. And then it hit me. I do. I do have a despised enemy in my life. I have for years. Many people who know me know that these people are my despised enemies. You know who they are? The Calgary Flames. They're my despised enemy. They are, for years. I'm a diehard Edmonton Oilers fan. Diehard. I went to the Edmonton Oilers games when they were first in the Coliseum back in the late 70s. In fact, I think there's a slide coming up here. I still have a, a bunch of my ticket stubs. Here's a ticket stub. February 13th, 1979. $7.00 to go to an Oiler game. Unreal. Unreal. Uh, the next slide shows you, uh, some people call this a memory box. I don't personally. It's, uh, it's my Oiler stuff. So you'll see in there that uh, there's some of the hockey players from the, in the, from the 80s. I was in a uh, season ticket holder for a year with some friends. There's some other ticket stubs. There's a little Oiler pin there. You can see this little oil drop. One of the original little drawings of the Euler logo. And then, of course, there's how many? Oh, yeah, five Stanley Cup pins in there, just, just to let Joel know that. So as you know, Edmonton and Calgary have had a heated rivalry over the years. Um, in fact, they dominated hockey in the 1980s. 1981. I went to a hockey game where Wayne Gretzky scored his 50th goal in 39 games. He scored five goals that night. The fifth goal 
was in an empty net. I was there. I witnessed that. I watched that. It was wonderful. Let me just give you just a brief history of the Oilers. 1983, they go to the Stanley Cup final. They lose to the Islanders. The next year, 1984, they go to the Stanley Cup final. They win their first cup. 1985, they go to the finals against the Philadelphia Flyers. They win their second. Got that? Second Stanley Cup. 1986. Oh, boy. We lose to the Calgary Flames. <laughs> Calgary Flames go on to play in the Stanley Cup final against the Montreal Canadiens, and they lose against the Montreal Canadiens. Right, Cliff? Yes. 1987, the Oilers are back. They go to the Stanley Cup final. Game seven in Edmonton. A friend and I go down to Southgate Mall. Used to be a Woodward's there. We slept outside with 150 other people to get tickets for this game. We were number five and number six in line. Only 12 people got tickets. We got tickets. I gave them to my friends, charged them a little extra, and to pay for my ticket. It was a big thing back then, if you remember. People were scalping tickets, and, and, and the police were coming around not letting you scalp. So what they did was, here, I'm going to sell you this rock. And by the way, I'll give you two tickets if you give me 150 bucks. Anyways, game seven, I go there. I have two extra tickets. There's nobody outside the Coliseum because police were out there. So I call up my brother-in-law and my nephew and say, hey, you want two free tickets to game seven? And of course, the Oilers won their, what? Third Stanley Cup. 1988, they go back to the finals. They play the Boston Bruins, and they win their fourth Stanley Cup. 1989. 1989. Calgary Flames go to the Stanley Cup final. Once again, they're playing the Montreal Canadiens, and they win their one and only Stanley Cup. And it devastated me. I despised it. But the very next year, the Edmonton Oilers go back to the Stanley Cup final against the Boston Bruins and win their fifth Stanley Cup. Five Stanley Cups. I was known for telling my friends in the 80s I would rather cheer for the Russians than cheer for any Calgary team. And that's the way I stood back then. Couldn't stand them. Couldn't stand them at all. 2018, Brenda and I booked a, uh, a cruise to go to eastern United States and eastern Canada. It left out of Boston. So we booked the cruise, and then I get on the internet, and I'm like, hey, I wonder who the Boston Bruins are playing. Maybe we'll go see a Boston game. Guess who's playing? The one and only night that we are in Boston, guess who was playing? Oh, no, not Calgary. Where's that? Next slide. The Oilers were there. So me and my wife got to go watch the Edmonton Oilers lose to the Boston Bruins, but we got to go see a game in Boston. And then my grandson, who's turning one in, in a few weeks, He's an Edmonton Oilers fan. He just doesn't know it yet. But we will train him well. So this morning, I, as you can see, there's some kids up here. They're going to help me. And we're going to retell this parable in a modern way. And I'm very thankful for them helping me. So I'm just going to move this table out of the way. And I'm going to read a script for them. 
don't want to lose this. I'm going to read. They're going to act it out. So here we go. Once there was an Edmonton Oilers fan. And he was going to see the hockey game. And he was very happy to see the Oilers play. He doesn't look very happy. Can you be happy, happy? In fact, he was jumping up and down. He was so, yes, he was so excited to see the Oilers play. So he took the LRT, but he had to go to Century Park because the one in Millwoods wasn't ready yet. So he, he got on the LRT, and it was very full, so he had to stand, and he had to hold one of those little straps. So he's holding the strap, and he's heading to the game, and, and the LRT is very bumpy. It's, it's very bumpy. It, yeah, it's shaking. Yeah, that's it. And he's still very happy. He's still very happy. So he gets to his destination. He gets outside, and he grabs his telephone just to make sure that he wasn't running too late and to check and make sure what seats he was in. And as he's checking his telephone, along came some robbers. The robbers surrounded him. <laughs> oh, they asked for his telephone. He refused. But out came the lightsaber, and he threatened him with the lightsaber, and so he quickly gave up his phone. And then the one robber took his hat. So take his phone, and then they took his hat, then they took his scarf, and then they started to beat on him. <laughs> they beat on him with the hockey stick. Yeah, beat on him. They beat on him with a hockey stick. They threatened him with the lightsaber. They hit him with a bat. Hold it. There's no bat. Okay, the hat, yeah. They hit him with a hat, and then he fell on the ground. And they continued to beat him, and they started to laugh. They started to laugh. They started to laugh. <laughs> and then they started to dance around him. Yes, they were so happy. And then they kicked him a couple times. And then they quickly ran off and left him for half dead. Half dead. <laughs> then along came another Euler fan. Oh, no, this one first. Sorry. Another Euler fan. And she was walking. No, she was skipping to the hockey game. And then she noticed the man lying there. Should she help him? No, she wouldn't help him. What if she got blood in her beautiful pink Oilers jersey? She decided to walk way around and avoid him. But she was very happy because she was going to a hockey game. And she skipped all the way there. And she ran off. Then along came another Euler fan. He was a Levite, a very religious man. And he stops. He sees the injured man. And he thinks for a minute, should I help him? No, I'm going to be late. I'm going to get my jersey dirty as well. But he was happy. He was very happy, and he ran off. Now along came a Calgary Flames fan. Hold it. This can't be right. Who wrote this? Are you sure? Are you a Flames fan? Oh, my goodness. Along came a Flames fan. Okay. 
He's walking down the very same street. He's very happy because he's going to an Oiler game. And just like the others, just like the others, he noticed the injured man. And then he decided to kick. No, he didn't kick him. He walked over to the injured man. He got down on his knee and he said, are you okay? Can I help you? And he offered him some water. And then he started to bandage. Oh, he already bandaged his leg. That's good. Put that leg up. People can see your bandage. He bandaged his leg. And then he helped the man up. He threw his water in the corner because he didn't need his water anymore. And he helped him, and he went over to the closest hotel, which is the table. (laughs) Do you have the little... So, when they got to the hotel, they rang the little dinger. Oh, a little bit louder. And there is the hotel manager. And so the Calgary Flames fan explains to the hotel manager, I need you to give this guy a room for tonight. I need you to give him a nice big supper. I need you to even give him breakfast in the morning. And then I'll be back tomorrow, and if he charges anything else, I'll take care of it. And then he, I think he already handed extra money. He did. He handed extra money. He shook her hand. He shook her hand. Oh, more money. And he shook her hand. And he shook her hand. There we go. And he thanked her. And then the Calgary Flame fan went off to the hockey game. The Flames fan went off to the hockey game. (laughs) And then the hotel manager took the injured man and showed him up to his hotel room. The end. First of all, thank you everyone for helping out. Pastor Joel has a little gift for you guys. If you want to go grab it from him while I put my table back. So Jesus would have asked the lawyer who who had mercy on him. And he would have said the person who helped him. And if it's like me, I wouldn't even be able to say it was the Calgary Flames fan. I would have just said, yeah, it was the guy with the red jersey. Yeah, with the C on it. I am a diehard Oilers fan. When I was first reading this and I thought who I despised, this little skit came to me and I thought, the hardest thing for me to do would be to elevate a Calgary Flames fan. I don't think you understand how hard this is for me. But this has hit home for me. Because it would have been the same way that the Jews hated the Samaritans. And yet Jesus made the Samaritan the hero of the story. The enemy of the Jews is the one who showed mercy. That's the one who was your neighbor. He's your neighbor. 
We may not have despised enemies, but you may have some people that really tick you off. Some people you really don't like. Maybe some people don't like you. Maybe you don't consider them enemies. Maybe you just try to avoid them. But these are the people we need to pray for. These are the people who are our neighbors. Now, it's interesting how God puts different people in your life. God has put a lot of Calgary Flame fans in my life over the years. When I was pastoring down in Coronation, three of my board members were Flames fans. A lot of the people in the congregation were Flames fans. And this is the years that the Oilers weren't doing that good. And every Sunday morning, I had to take it from them all the time. But you know what? They were good people. And they had just as much passion about their team as I did about my team. And I respect that. Will I ever cheer for the Flames? No. No. But I don't despise the fans. They are my neighbors. We don't agree on things, but there's a lot of things we do agree on. And so this has stretched me this morning. I hope that maybe in a way that you can see that maybe there's someone in your life you really can't stand, someone that gives you a hard time, they're still your neighbor. We can't pick and choose who we're supposed to love. God puts different people in our paths for a different reason. I'm going to end here this morning. Um, I'm just going to jump to... um, The last, it's not a quote by, sorry, one more page here. It's not a quote by John Wesley, a famous theologian, but he said part of it. So this whole quote is kind of attributed to him. So we're just going to read this in closing. And once again, I want you to think it's not who is my neighbor, but am I being neighborly to the person that God has put in my life? Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, and to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Who is your neighbor? Whoever God puts in your life. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes it'll cost you money and time. But God has put you there for a reason. Once again, I want to thank the kids for helping this morning. Guys did a great job. Kids, I am just so impressed when I see kids in church. I watch you kids as you sing the songs and as you praise God. I love being able to worship with you guys together. See, I didn't have that when I was a kid. I didn't start going to church until I was 15. So you guys have a head start. I'm excited for the plans that God has for you. And I'm just so glad you're here today. In fact, I want all the parents just to give a hand for every kid who is here this morning who is worshiping our God together. We appreciate you kids. We are glad you're here. And I just want to close in praying, not for all of you, but especially for the kids as well this morning. So let's pray. God, thank you for this reminder of who our neighbor is. It's not always the people that we want to be nice to, not always the people that who just live right next door or the people that are easy to be nice to. 
Sometimes you put difficult people in their lives. And so the kids need to remember that as well, that they need to show love and compassion for others. And I just thank you that they have this foundation of coming to God's house to worship together. It thrills me. It excites me when I see kids in church praising God. And I just pray that you will give them such a solid foundation in their lives, that you would help them to learn your word, that they would learn to talk to you, that they would learn to to listen to you, God. But most of all, that they would learn to share Jesus with the kids they go to school with, the kids they play on sports teams with or dance or whatever activities they're doing, because they are a light in our world. And so I want to pray a special blessing for each child who is here today, each young person who is here today, that they'd be a shining light in their community. Give them a strong faith, God. And I just thank you for the pastors in this church, for the Sunday school teachers who all have an influence on raising these kids together. And for the parents who have chosen to bring their kids here this morning, God bless you. You've done the right thing, that you are bringing your kids up in a strong faith. And we pray for you. We pray for your marriages. We pray for your job situation. We pray for your help. Your help. God, we worship you this morning. We are here as one family worshiping the one true God. And we thank you this. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? And all the kids said? Amen. Once more, kids. All the kids said? Amen. God bless you.